morning and welcome to Charters Towers Christian Outreach Centre. It's good to have you, each and every one of you, with us this morning. And to those listening online, welcome to our church family. And uh, I pray that you'll be all infused with the Spirit of God and that the Spirit of God would empower this message to your spirit to make it active and real. I'd like, if you would, if you brought your Bibles with you, and I encourage you to do so, to turn to Matthew's Gospel, chapter 24. And many of you will know this chapter. Matthew's chapter. Uh, Matthew's chapter. <laughs> A hilly chapter. <laughs> Matthew's Gospel, chapter 24. Give me an hallelujah when you're there. There we go. Then Jesus went out and departed from the temple, from verse 1, and his disciples came to him, showing them the buildings of the temple. And Jesus said to them, Do you not see all these things? Assuredly, I say to you, not one stone shall be left here upon another that shall not be thrown down. And within about 35 years of him saying that, Jerusalem in 70 AD was leveled by the Romans when Titus and the 10th legion and many other legions came against Jerusalem, besieged the city for, for quite a while, and then the whole city was destroyed, including the temple. Now as he sat down on the Mount of Olives, the disciples came to him privately saying, tell us when will these things be, and what will be the sign of your coming and the end of the age? And Jesus answered and said to them, take heed that no one deceives you. Amazing, isn't it? The first thing that he says about all the things that were going to happen, but he's talking about not just 70 AD, because in the Bible you have multi-layers of the fulfillment of prophecy, and what he was talking about is the day in which we live today. And uh, in addition to that, in Mark 13, are corresponding uh, the stories of, that are written in Matthew 25, are written uh, Matthew 24:25 are almost duplicated in Mark 13. Jesus answered them and began to say, take, take heed that no one deceives you. The very, very first thing that he says in that gospel. Let's go to Luke's gospel, 21, verses 78. So they asked him, saying, Teacher, when will these things be? And what sign will there be when these things are about to take place? Verse 8, and he said, Take heed that you do not be deceived. In all three gospel accounts, Exactly the same message is, take heed that no one deceive you. Deception is the act of deceiving or the state of being deceived. It's an illusion or a fraud. That which gives a false impression, whether by appearance or statement or influence, we can deceive people just by the look on our face and say absolutely nothing. Deception is like that. And uh, Matthew 13, 22 is said... Uh, uh, said of riches. Riches can be deceptive. We can, because of our, our lust for sin, we can deceive ourselves, and many people do. In Mark, uh, Mark 4, the cares of this world, the deceitfulness of riches and desires for other things entering in, choke the word and it becomes unfruitful. So deceitfulness can destroy good things from God. You can say deception, the words that come to mind when talking about deception or being deceived, it's like a bait. It's like a lure. We throw a fishing lure in. It deceives the fish that it's something good for it to partake of. But when it goes in, down into that fish's gullet, there's a hook in there and it gets drawn up and it loses its life. 
craft, deceit, guile, wandering from the white right path, from the white path. Sounds like a wascally wabbit. But wandering from the right path. In other words, you were on the right path, but somehow meander off it. And you only have to be one degree off from the North Pole, I think, to be so many thousands of miles off by the time you get to the equator. Only one degree, that's all it is. And so, uh, in addition to that, uh, corrupt or the mingling of truth. And that's a big one because there is truth in it, but there's a mingling of truth. And that is deceptive. It's a leading into error. And the other words that come to mind are to be seduced. There's an apostasy, walking away from one's faith. We know that the Bible is being called, the Satan is known as the deceiver. That's a capital T and a capital D. He is the deceiver. And he's, uh, Jesus talking about Satan, he says he is the father of lies. The father of lies. And the only thing wrong with deception that I can see is you don't know you're in it. <laughs> Who's ever been content in, uh, uh, it was almost like ignorance was bliss. But then you found out you were going totally the wrong way and you went, oh, I didn't even know. Deception can be like that, can't it? You don't know you're in it. That's the only thing wrong with deception. And so uh, false Christ, counterfeits, signs and wonders and uh, miracles, all these can be part of deception. You can see miracles in, the, in a fallen world. You can see false doctrines described as the doctrine of demons and they will abound and are abounding in the earth today. Deceptive doctrines being into the churches, being introduced into the church is nothing new. Is nothing new. T tell, turn to the person next to you and say, deception's nothing new. Oh, it's not. Oh, it's nothing new. There's nothing new under the sun. And so the devil from the outset, he has always come to twist, to dilute, distort, to dismiss. Numerous words you could use to, de to describe what the devil does. And um, uh, let's, uh, let's read for uh, Revelations 12, 9 to 11 just for a minute. And there it is. So the great dragon was cast out, that serpent of old. So he's a serpent in the Garden of Eden, but feeding on the dust of humanity he has now become the great dragon called the devil and Satan, who deceives the whole world. And he was cast to the earth with his angels, were cast out with him. Then I heard a loud voice saying in, in heaven, Now salvation and strength and the kingdom of our God and the power of Christ has come for the accuser of our brethren who accused them before God day and night has been cast down. And they overcame him by the blood of the lamb and the word of their testimony, and they did not love their lives to the death. We don't like to quote that very, very last bit. We just like to quote, and they overcame him by the blood of the lamb and the word of the testimony. That's true, isn't it? We forget that little bit, and I couldn't blame you. And so, um, but deception, so Jesus was describing a time and a period, a dispensation of time in these closing years. And so uh, uh, Matthew 24, Luke 21, and Mark 13 all describe the end of end of days. Or the end of that. It's a dispensation of time. Second Timothy uh, chapter 3 speaks of the mindset of the people of the end of end of days. In the last days people will be. And it lists all these horrendous things. And you can see it on our streets today. 
people with certain kinds of arrogance and attitude, lovers of themselves and not lovers of God. And we can see that evident. Read uh, 2 Timothy chapter 3. In the last days, perilous times will come. And so you couple, couple that, there's the mindset, and then you have the physical attributes of the earth in Matthew 24. There will be wars and rumors of wars. There'll be earthquakes, pestilence and famine and so forth. And so it gives you a more comprehensive or full picture of the world in which we live. And it doesn't look too dissimilar. I would say in a lot of ways, we in North Queensland are very insulated from a lot of what is going on in the earth today. And millions upon millions and billions do not live in the peace and the harmony in which we experience here right in the towers. Amen. So if you want to be close to God, you're going to have to move to Charters Towers. Amen. And many people have. Even from the ACT, can you believe it? It's wonderful. It's wonderful. And our sister here now has moved from Tully. Oh, it's amazing. Tully, it rains three meters a year. You go into a shop and you ask as a tourist and you say, how long has it been raining? And they'll say, oh, well, I don't know. I've only lived here for two years. <laughs> if it's not raining, it's going to rain. And so, uh, but I pray that you bring some more of that rain with you, men, and you're very, very welcome here. Give her a round of applause. Welcome to Charters Towers. Oh, you're going to, yeah, this is going to be a great season of your life here. And I can already see you are already a blessing to our family here. Welcome. And so, whole uh, deception of the church is now rampant, incredibly rampant. It's not hidden anymore. Not in, the, and in any way, shape, or form is deception in what we would call or what the world calls the church. Because what the world calls the church and what Jesus calls the church are two totally separate things, amen? Just because it's got a cross on the roof doesn't mean it's the church of Jesus Christ, amen? It does not mean that at all. It's what the world would describe often as the church. Whole denominations of churches now headlong into teachings and practices which are defiantly and blatantly against God's word. This is not my teaching, it's the teaching of the Bible. And, uh, and yet the people sit and continue to sit under the teaching and the influence of that thing. Why would people do that? Because deception is rampant on the earth. Lot flirtatiously looked towards the land of the south when Abraham and him decided that the land could no longer uh, 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 keep both of their flocks. Lot looked towards the green south land down towards Sodom and Gomorrah and he says, I'll take that land. And so he camped in the valley towards Sodom. The next reference we see of Lot is he is camped outside the gates of Sodom and the next reference to, to a Lot before Sodom was destroyed, that Lot was actually with his family living in Sodom. Amen? And so he had a flirtatious spirit with the things of this world. He thought somehow he could be separated from it or indulge in a little bit of this and a little bit of that and not be unharmed. But Lot could not have been further more deceived than he was. And so... Deception is a seducing thing that lures people by increments, small, minute increments, like a frog being cooked in a, on a hot stove, amen, in the boiling water. First it's put in cold water, and then slowly but surely that water heats up, but the frog just gets used to it and inevitably perishes and boils to death. 
But he is found outside the gates of Sodom, and then he is in Sodom. So deception is a, is it a seducing thing. And so I encourage you today, if you have a flirtatious affection of sin, and at times because there is an old nature which likes to raise its ugly head in us all from time to time, none of us are immune. Just because I'm standing up here with a microphone doesn't mean that I am not tempted and by the flirt. It's a bit like chocolate-coated gravel, amen? It looks good on the outside, and when you swallow it, it even tastes good. But when the chocolate is all sucked off, what are you left? But gravel in your belly. And sin is like that, isn't it? It tastes good, it's sweet, but it is, at the end of the day, destructive to your soul. And so I think, don't camp near sin. James said, flee or run from it. James also says in 4.4, do not know that the friendship with the world is at enmity with God. It's at loggerheads with God. That's right. It's exactly opposite. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, says God in Isaiah. And so Matthew 5 and Jesus' Sermon on the Mount is a beautiful thing. It says the pure in heart will see God. The pure in heart. That means it's undiluted. It's pure. It's untainted. It's untouched. It's, it's not dirty. And so it was in response to these attacks that the church fathers, they solidified the Christian faith and they needed to because deception immediate, deception didn't take, the Bible says in Matthew 4, 4 that immediately the devil tries to come and snatch what was sown, amen? We read that in Mark chapter 4 in the parable of the sower. And so when the church began its roots in the book of Acts, immediately Taking to the pulpit were deceivers. There are deceivers and those who are deceived. And we need to have the wisdom to differentiate between the two. And so, so the church fathers solidified the Christian faith and belief and doctrine. And they stated clearly, concisely, the tenets of faith so that a true faith in God and the person of Jesus Christ and the Holy Spirit could be clearly seen and that false teaching would also be clearly seen and exposed. And that is why we know that there is rampant deception in all the earth, and the church is not immune. Churches are filled with absolute deception in this day and age. No longer preaching the gospel, warts and all, but there's a dilution of the gospel. And uh, getting into strange doctrines, things clearly opposed to the word of God. In 1 John, 2 John, and 3 John, we know that John is known as the apostle of love, but I notice that he calls out false teachers and heretics all the time. I made a list some time ago, I haven't included here, of must be more than 15 or 16 names of heretics named in the letters of Paul and, and others. And uh, so not defined by the thought of the day as in the depraved teachings of the the Spanish Inquisition, by Scripture alone, by Scripture alone do we see how uh, de deception has come into the church. Apologetics then, and you may have heard of this word, and you thought, well, what is apologetics? But apologetics rose from defending against false teaching and the dilution of the faith of the church, amen? And it was put in place to defend the church and to keep the church undiluted and pure. It was a good thing. Apologetics is the defense and it is the vindication of the principles and laws of Christian belief 
And so an apologist, you think it's a big word, and, but an apologist is merely a defender of the faith according to Scripture, not to tradition, not to any other thing, but by Scripture alone, by Scripture alone, sola scriptura was the Reformation built on in 1517. And so the apostle in his writings, he was a defender of the faith, and many other writers there in the Bible, you can see that. He exposed false teaching and false teachers. And so when things like that come into the church, sometimes church can be uncomfortable because things need to be addressed or confronted. It's not easy. It's not easy. But God wants us to be defenders of the faith. You don't want an undiluted gospel from me. You want, the, you want the whole, you want the real deal, you want the real McCoy, you want the true blue. You want the fair dink and what Jesus had to say, gospel. And so the establishment of Christian doctrine was documented to counteract heresies and to document what the church family already believed. The church at that time knew what they believed in. If you experienced a, a baptism of the Holy Ghost, you've experienced salvation, you've experienced so many things that God has poured out upon his church, well, then you don't need to be told, but they had to put in writing these fundamental truths that you and I take for granted. And so, and so it was to safeguard the faith. And these firm doctrines were, after a time, given Latin names, big names. And we think, oh, gosh, what do they all mean? But revelation from the outset comes by Jesus Christ and the Holy Ghost, and it's God's progressive revelation. Jesus Christ is God's progressive revelation to man. And so initially we have even this word theology, which is the doctrine of God. That's what it means. Theology means the doctrine of God, who God is, his attributes. And the Bible is very, very clear. According to Scripture, they said God is omnipotent, which means he's all-powerful. Amen? Can I have an amen in the house? God is all-powerful. It goes on to say God is omnipresent, meaning that he is everywhere. Where can I go where you are not there? I could go to the furthest places in the galaxy. I could go to the depths of Sheol and you are there. God is omnipresent. doesn't matter where you are. That's why you can worship wherever you are. You don't have to be on this mountain or that mountain. You can worship the Lord wherever you are. Why? Because God is omnipresent. God is omniscient. I mean, these are all big words, aren't they? I don't even see that word in the Bible. But God is all-knowing. Now, I'm Dutch. You think I'm all-knowing. But God is really all-knowing. Amen? He is all-knowing. And he, there's not a thing that he does. He knows you better than you know yourself. Oh, he does. He knows you better than you know yourself. He knows you're going forth and you're coming in. He knows the number of your steps. He knows the number of your breaths. He puts your tears into a bottle. He knows you better than you know. In the darkest of nights at 1 or 2 a.m. in the morning and you're contemplating and reflecting on life and you think, oh, who's ever groaned at that time of the morning going, oh, why did I do that? Why did I say that? Why was I like that? And there's a groan within us. But God knows those secret groans. He knows those groans. He knows the pain that nobody else knows. He knows that. He knows you better. He knows you better than your husband knows you. He knows you better than your wife knows you. Your mum or dad knows you. He knows you. He knows you so intimately. God is holy. It goes on to say righteous is truth. God is love. He is the substance of love. God is a covenant uh, a God of covenant, a God of agreement. He is the maker of heaven and earth. 
We go on to say there's another few uh, names here, Christology. And so that's the doctrine of Jesus Christ. I don't want you to be frightened of these words, but have a look at these words and think about these things. Christology is the doctrine of Jesus Christ, the Son of God, the Saviour of the world. There is no other Saviour, but He is. We're talking about Jesus Christ as Lord this morning. Amen? Jesus is Lord. Jesus is Lord. If you were able to say that with all conviction, basically you are born again. You are born again. You have made a, a transition from a kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of the Son of His love. Amen? There is, what about this word, pneumatology? And that's the doctrine of the Holy Spirit. And you think, why, where do they get the word pneuma from? Well, it's a Latin word, and pneuma it means, when you, it's the same word where you get pneumatic tire from. It's filled with air. And so it is the breath of God. In the Hebrew, it's ruach. The ruach Elohim hamayim. And it says, and the Spirit of God brooded over the face of the waters. Beautiful, isn't it? The ruach is, and the Spirit of God. The ruach Elohim and the Spirit of God. It's beautiful, isn't it? Oh, I love, just love it. What about uh, anthropology? We know that word, and that's the do doctrine of man. And we're born into a sinful nature, and we need to be redeemed, and we need to be saved. There is angelology, and that's the doctrine of angels. Some people worship angels, but do you know that angels are servants to the throne? And so when he, whenever any uh, angel had a meeting with man, the first thing the angel said was, fear not. Why? Because they were fearsome. One angel is a fearsome thing, a legion of angels, 6,200. Wow, that is an awesome thing to think. Fear not. And so we don't worship angels. They are servants to the throne. They are messengers of God, servants of God. And so we don't, we don't worship a servant to God. It's not, it's not uh, scriptural. There's a soteriology is the doctrine of salvation. I can't even quite say that word, but it sounds good. I like it. What about ecclesiology? I was on the job site. I'm a carpenter by trade, and I ended up calling everybody Bill. It was the funniest site that I've ever been involved on. Friday was the day to pay the bills. And then when there was, uh, and then we had William the Concreter. <laughs> And it was such a funny job site. Everyone was called Bill. You know what they called me? Ecclesiastical Bill or Billy Graham. That was my name on this big site. It was the funniest job site. We were all so different. Wild, wild blokes. Wild blokes. Wow. But it was a fun place to be. And so you can mix it up if God has placed you there. Because you know in whom you have believed, God can place you in a place and still be an effective witness. Amen. So ecclesiology is the doctrine of the Christian church. The last one here is eschatology, which is the doctrine of last things, which we're speaking about today in a way, because this is the day. We are in the end of days, not exactly in the end of end of days, which is the last few days before the end of days. But the end of days is a dispensation of time of 2,000 years. People say Jesus has been returning for 2,000 years. Well, that's right, because in the last days, my spirit shall be poured upon all flesh, my sons and daughters shall prophesy, and says Joel 2.28 and Acts also chapter 2 verse 17. Say the same thing. And so this whole season or dispensation of time is called the end of days. And so these basic and thorough teachings became what you would call the bedrock, the foundation or cornerstone 
beams and buttresses that support the whole house of God and the church. These doctrines are what hold us firm in this place. Amen? Amen. There are so many churches right now, whole denominations, who have given way to throwing all this stuff out the window and began to do what is right in their own eyes. That's what they've done. Because it doesn't fit the agenda of this last 20 and 30 and 40 and 50 years. Amen? And so deception is not... It is rampant, not only in the earth, but is absolutely rampant in the church. And yet people sit. And so you and I, the ecclesia, the called out ones, have a statement of faith. And we have our own declaration of independence from the world and its fallen system. And so in the fourth century, three main written creeds were established. And they helped solidify the faith of the early Christian church. Why? Because they were defending against apostasy and heresy. And so this day, it's time to come back to the foundations of the faith. Come back to the Word of God. It is the beams and buttresses which can support every Christian life. If you're just taking what I say as doctrine or truth, I say forget it. What about if I went one degree off and a year later further down the road? No, you, we need to be students of the Bible ourselves. We need to be reading the Word of God and testing every spirit. Test it for yourself. The Bible is, it has come to us at great expense. Millions of people have lost their lives to provide Scripture to you. And yet we take it for granted. We think, oh, well, just let somebody else feed me. I'll just get a daily devotional. I'll just get this download or that download without searching the Scriptures for yourself. I pray that when you search the Scriptures or listen to the Podbeam podcast, that you have a look at those scriptures for yourself and say, yes, now I know exactly what he's saying. It can be substantiated with scripture. Substantiated with scripture. It's great to be led by the Holy Spirit, but it needs to be substantiated by scripture. I'm an absolute advocate in being led by the Holy Spirit, but it has to be, must be, and should always be substantiated by scripture. And so we've heard of the Apostles' Creed. I was raised in the Catholic Church. A couple of my aunties were nuns. My grandfather was, he was very Catholic, very, very good man. I loved him dearly. He was stern. He was certainly strict. He knew how to use a belt, that's for sure. And, uh, but he was a good man. And so I was raised in the, in the Catholic tradition. And when I did my confirmation, I read it in the... It, the papers surfaced... In the year, and I was 29 years old, and I gave my life to Jesus Christ. In that same week, the papers surfaced from my confirmation in the Catholic Church all those years ago. And I reflected, had I believed every word that I actually uh, spoke or prayed, I would have been born again. But it was never preached in a way of, in a spirit of faith, to reignite and make me a new creation in Christ Jesus. So I stayed the same way till I was 29 years old. Amen? I wish I had a known. You see, ignorance is not bliss. What are a lot of, I, lived, I have lived in some ways a complicated life. And sin is like that. Sin is a complicated way to live. And when you read Deuteronomy and it talks about the blessings and the cursings, I notice when you live godly, there's 14 verses or 12 verses of blessing. But if you reject God, there's 54 verses of curses. That is a complicated life. I was living the 54 verses of curses before I found Jesus Christ. And now I'm living under the 12 or 14 verses of blessing now. Praise God. Amen. It's a wonderful thing. Wonderful thing when you come to Christ. 
Wonderful thing. And so in the 3rd and 4th century, we had the Apostles' Creed, very similar to those that now denominational churches say every Sunday morning. There is the Nicene Creed, and there was a later one called the Anathanasian. Thank you, sir. Written to, and that was another creed brought up to refute a new doctrine that was imposed upon the church. So when I was a young boy attending that Catholic church, it was the first time that I'd actually heard of the creed, and I knew it off by heart. And so when our faith becomes merely, however, a studying of doctrines, we too can go into error. And, uh, and that's probably some of my concerns with just being a study of theology only. And we can just... And uh, so it says knowledge puffs up, but the spirit builds up. Amen? And so it can be just a thing. But however, there is a yet, however, and a but. Can you say that to the person next to you? There is a yet, however, and a but. <laughs> now, I'm not being rude, but there is a yet, however, and a but. Oh, yes, there is. Christianity is not built upon a central point of doctrine. Not at all. But it's built around a person. Oh, and then, then your heart gets strangely warmed, isn't it? It's beautiful. It's built upon the person of Jesus Christ. All that doctrine, all that foundation, all those buttresses, all those beams, all that support, all that concrete, all that steel and reinforcement there is to lay a foundation for a right relationship with the person of Jesus Christ. Amen? It's beautiful, isn't it? Who enjoyed just that little rendition on some theology and stuff? And so... So therefore, I make known to you that one speaking of the Spirit by God calls Jesus Christ accursed, and no one can say that Jesus is Lord except by the Holy Spirit. And there you have it, the person of Jesus Christ, Jesus is Lord. So Paul in the book of Colossians addresses the issues of these false teachers head on, and he didn't do it by uh, what you would call a, a, a studying all these other faiths and beliefs. Uh, he didn't do it like that. But he did it in the book of Colossians by raising and exalting the person of Jesus Christ. Amen? So firing arrows at everything else is, I don't believe, I think we can learn a lesson from Paul that to weigh, the way to win the battle, and that's what we're here for. We're not here to win a war. We're here to win the entire battle. And the battle has been enforced and won by Jesus Christ himself. He is Jesus Christ, Lord of Lords and King of Kings. Amen? Whether the world recognizes it at this point in time makes no difference. He is Lord of Lords. Amen. He is Lord of Lords of Lords. And so, but the, and so uh, Paul addresses the false teachers head on by exalting Jesus Christ in the gospel in five things in the book of Colossians. He addressed Jesus Christ in the gospel. He addresses him in the plan of redemption Redemption, you cannot be redeemed by silver and gold, but by the precious blood of Jesus Christ, amen. That is the plan of redemption. In creation, he was there and nothing was made that was not made, amen. In the beginning was the Word and the Word was with God and the Word was God. He became flesh and dwelt amongst us in verse 14. What about in the church? We know in Ephesians, which is a letter to the church and about the church, that is the book of Ephesians, not all books are about the church, but Ephesians is. All the books are to the church, but not all are about the church. The book of Ephesians is a book about the church. And Jesus is described as the head of the church. 
And also, Jesus Christ in his own ministry was preeminent. But in this day and age, we're living in an age of what religious pluralism and syncretism. I, I hate these words. Whenever somebody comes and talks to me about, we need to be more pluralistic in this situation. Let's get a meeting together of this and this and this and that and that and that, and let's be more pluralistic. And it all sounds so vomitable to me and, uh, because it sounds all so nice, but it, does not, it makes Jesus prominent but not preeminent. Amen? And that is the difference. In many, many religions, they can acknowledge Jesus as a prophet. He's prominent, but he is not preeminent. And they would put another prophet above him name. They would put another church name, a denomination. If a denomination name is bigger than Jesus, well, your denomination's got to come down. Christian Outreach Centre never saved anybody. Jesus Christ saves people. I've never saved a person in my life. It's Jesus Christ. I can only point the way. Absolutely, Cordy. Absolutely. Greater is he who is in me than he who is in the world. But we point the way to Jesus. And the success of any ministry is its ability to continue to point the way to Jesus. So many Christian books and you've got glossy photos of beautiful looking people, but never a cross in sight. Who are they pointing to? I got to ask myself the same question. And so we're living in this day of religious pluralism, all these beautiful words, and the, the coexistence of different religions and religious beliefs. And we're called to coexist, and we are called to coexist. In fact, the Christian faith given to the world through Jesus Christ is one that makes a way for people to live like they want to live. It does give people a choice. It gives liberty. Jesus and God himself never took away your liberty to make a decision for him. You are given a, a choice. Many religions around the world, when they, have, when they have the authority in the land, do not allow other religious beliefs or faiths to function. And I don't even have to mention because you know who they are. And so syncretism then, another beautiful word, is the diluting of truth for the sake of unity. Coming together in the bond of peace means not forsaking truth, but we come together in the spirit of Jesus Christ. That is the thing that unites us, the spirit of Jesus. That is the, the thing that unites every single one of us here today is the spirit of Jesus Christ. Our common theologies and things like that, sometimes people are way off there with the fairies. We're not united in that thing. No, we come back to gospel truths, written sola scriptura, scripture alone. I was at the hospital in Townsville about five years ago, or possibly more, and uh, I went down to the chapel of the hospital, beautiful new chapel. Just excuse me while I have a quick drink. And it was a magnificent door, front door, and on there was this massive etched wheel. And on this etched wheel was an emblem for more than a dozen different faiths. And that used to not be so in Australia. If you went to the chapel, there was only one emblem that you would see, and it was the cross. If there was any emblem at all, it was only the cross. But on here we had, oh, the yin and yang, and we had this, and we had that, and we had a crescent, we had this, and, we, and down here on the left-hand side was a small cross, and it was almost like all these were above the cross of Jesus Christ. 
And so we are now coexisting in, a, in the world right now is just coexisting. And there was a time and a period in many countries where this was not the case. And so, um, and so Jesus was prominent there on that cross, but he certainly was not preeminent. Amen? In your own life, it causes us to reflect, is Jesus important? Is he a slice of the pie or is he the whole pie? Amen? From which our whole life radiates. And so to many, Jesus is the teacher. And speaking, I've, uh, we've seen politicians in church circles before, and they say, Jesus, do you love, uh, what, is your, what is your faith and belief? And they say, oh, yes, and they're in a church and they're gathering votes. And they say, well, I believe Jesus to be a great teacher. Oh, yes, he's a great teacher. I just love the parables and all this sort of stuff. And you know the rhetoric and you know the talk, but you know that Jesus is not, he may be important in their life as a moral teacher, a regular good guy, perhaps, the ultimate good Samaritan, but he is not Lord of Lords and King of Kings in their life. Amen? He is not. And so uh, neither prominent nor preeminent to some. And so deception, I feel, and I can certainly can't cover it in any detail here this morning. I'm only touching on these subjects. But uh, deception comes in many, many forms and affects different people groups in different ways. And traditionalism says that's one form of deception. Traditionalism, say, traditionalism says that we have never done something that way before. And perhaps you've come into this church and you said, I've never done things like that before. And that's okay, that's fine. But Jesus said uh, to the Pharisees in regard to traditions of men, he said, you hold your traditions nullifying the word of God. And if your traditions nullify the word of God, and I came from a traditional background, amen? But if they nullify the word of God, then we need to have a closer look at those traditions. Um, in Matthew 15, 6, it said, Jesus said, Thus you have made the commandment of God of no effect by your traditions. In verse 9, it goes, he's talking to the Pharisees here. Now, these were knowledgeable, knowledgeable people. They were wanting and they were anticipating the coming of Yeshua HaMashiach, Jesus the Messiah. They were looking for him. But when Jesus was there right in front of their very eyes, they didn't recognize him. All the scriptures and prophecies going on from the Garden of Eden, uh, Genesis chapter 3, verse 15, right through to Moses. He says, the Lord will send you a prophet like me, and on and on it goes. And, uh, and when Jesus came, they did not. Because he says, uh, uh, your teachings as doctrines, the commandments of men. And I was doing things in a doctrinal way, and it was like a commandment, but it was not in Scripture. Some of these things we need to think, are they in Scripture? And so there's another thing that, uh, that I think is a great deception, and that is rationalism. And this day and age when we can Google just about anything and everything, rationalism is elevating the human intellect to such an extent that it replaces God. And I've found the more intelligent that you are, the sometimes the more difficult it is to see the reality of the supernatural in God. Amen? And to uh, uh, be spiritually aware of things that are going on. Rationalism says, I can't believe that because I can't understand it. In other words, I'm the guru here. I've got all my intellect. I've got all my ducks in a row. All my life's in order and this and that. I can't understand it. And so in some way... 
Man's intellect and mind has enormous ability and potential. And I recognize that I always like to surround myself with people who are smarter than me. Therefore, I can get just about any job done. There's lots of things that I can't do. And so I surround myself with people who can do. And so it's a good thing to surround yourself with smart people. But it, uh, Job's questions, uh, Job in his, uh, in his interactions with God, uh, he questions God's actions, doesn't he, in Job? And God's response in the concluding chapters of the book, and, uh, and uh, I think uh, Job is 40 chapters, and, but in chapter 38 he says, God said to Job, where were you when I laid the foundations of the earth? Where were you, O intellectual man from the, from the university? Where were you when the Lord laid down the foundations of the earth? How can I question God on how he does things or why he does things or why, he, why I don't agree with the way God does things? Where were we when God laid down the foundations of the earth? Jesus was scathing with the Pharisees of the day and he said on numerous occasions, he said, why do you reason in your hearts? I think it's fantastic to analyze, to look at, to think about, to pray about, to meditate, but there are some things you and I are never going to understand. God gave us the realm of faith so that we had a capacity to understand and to believe. He said, why do you reason in your hearts? They had elephant, the, the Pharisees, they had elephant. Now these are men who could, they could recite the Torah, that's the five books of the Moses, the five books of the law. By the age of 12 years old, the Pharisees as his children they were all the highest in their field, they could recite or paraphrase the five books of the Torah. Incredible, eh? Five books at 12 years of age. So these are, these are smart people, smart people. But I'd like to say that they had elevated their understanding and intellect and thought processes, they had elevated their own mindset above the miraculous. Just because we don't understand the miraculous doesn't mean you shouldn't accept it. And so from beginning to end, I would say this book is miraculous from beginning to end. In the beginning, Bereshit bara Elohim et Hashemayim va'et ha'aretz. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Amen? Who can do that? I certainly can't do it. Not even with my new high cokey battery-powered gear that I've got. All the good tools. Been to Brett's place, he's got some good tools as well. But we cannot do a diddly squat in comparison to what God said. And God said, let there be light. And there was light at 300,000 kilometers a second. Amazing. And so Jesus was scathing with these people. And, uh, but a statement of faith, and in this pluralistic society, and it has been this way for so long, Gandhi said, being a Hindu, he says... Uh, I am all Muslim, I am all Christian and all Jew. He was illustrating that he was, he was basically a leader for all the people. But in doing so, he says, I am all Hindu, I am all Muslim, I am all Christian and all Jew. The world grabbed hold of the world, words that hailed Gandhi as Time Life's Man of the Year. And to this day, he's hailed as a, a great soul, which is Mahatma Gandhi. And he was, he was an incredible man. I, I love the documentaries about him, a good man. But it all sounds so good, a one-world religion, a, a utopian paradise. And the world is, in these years to come, not so many from now, is going to have a one-world religion. 
It will have it. And it is being ushered in now by the World Council of Churches, advocated by the Vatican, by the Lutherans, Anglicans, and many, many more. It's a whole study, but I'd rather concentrate on Jesus Christ. Amen. I'd rather elevate Jesus Christ as Lord of Lords and King of Kings. Amen. Whosoever believes in him. But the world grabbed hold of these words, words of Mahatma Gandhi and they hailed him as a great utopian uh, uh, hero. And John, John Lennon, we know the, one of the Beatles, he wrote a song called Imagine. And uh, a beautiful song. I used to sing it with my brother. We used to sing in the pubs. He used to, uh, used to play the guitar and my brother used to play and sing. And uh, it was a beautiful song called Imagine. Imagine there's no heaven, it's not hard to try and... Uh, and all that sort of stuff. And it, imagine there's no religion, and, it, and it's a beautiful song. It's put together with some nice chords and a nice chord arrangement. But the whole thing is a lie. The whole thing is a lie. It is a sugar-coated uh, a lie. And we know that John Lennon himself fully embraced Eastern religions, rejected, rejected his Christian faith and upbringing. And so, but that sort of spirit seduced the whole hippie movement in the 60s and the 70s. But that same spirit is operating today, and more so, because this is the day of deception. There will not be a greater deception that is what is on the earth in today. You only need to turn on about two minutes of news to find out that things are not adding up. In fact, some people have come to Christ because they know stuff's not right, and they say, well, what is truth? Like Pilate. And they begin looking for the truth. And that's what I'm encouraged to The lies are so outrageous out there, but it is that the devil overplays his hand and causes people to seek after the truth. And that's wonderful, isn't it? Amen. Wonderful. And so there's not a pantheon of gods, and there's not one... Uh, uh, and uh, When I think of about a pantheon of gods, I think I've said it before, that you were not made by a committee. As if there was a pantheon of gods, well, who made your eye and who made your ear and... We know that there could be only one mind behind the, the miracle of creation itself. And man, you and I, made in the image and likeness of God, uh, we know that we are the pinnacle of man's creation, even though we are fallen creation. We were not made by a committee. We were made by an infinite and an incredible person. Incredible person. And so when Gandhi said, I'm all Hindu, I'm all Muslim, I'm all Christian, and all Buddhist, and all Jew, he should have said, I am all illogical. Because to be a Christian, Jesus Christ is Lord of Lords. And you cannot declare that over any one of those other things. Amen? And you can be in all these countries, and, uh, but when you uh, make Christ preeminent above all these other things, that's when you have a war on your hands. Because they will not accept. Jesus Christ as Lord. They will accept him as a prominent one, an important one, a good teacher, a moral person, but they will never accept him as Jesus Christ as Lord. And so I bought a book uh, recently because it, it uh, rang a bell within me. I haven't read it yet, but it was uh, and, uh, uh, a book by Rabbi and Pastor Jonathan Kahn. Who's aware of Jonathan Kahn? It's, it's a very, very good book, and I know and I'm looking forward to reading it, um, but it's, uh, I can't even remember the title of that book. I think it's called The Return of the Gods. And uh, to me, it's a repaganization of the world. Much of the world had been delivered from all the occult and witchcraft and pagan practices. But now in the person of Jesus Christ has had a tremendous period progressively for 2,000 years. 
But I think I heard once, uh, once again a time ago, it's either back to the Bible or back to the jungle. And that's where we're heading real quick. When you begin to throw out the basic principles of God, all the great morals that come with it, but the person of Jesus Christ, there is no such thing as a spiritual void and it will be replaced by something that is anti-Christ. And that is what we're finding now through all of the corridors of power in our education institutions everywhere. A repaganization of our own children. Amen? Our own children are absolutely, totally, biblically illiterate. And it's an absolute disgrace. And so I believe here in the towers we're going to do something about that. 1 Corinthians 8, 6 and Paul says, Yet for us, but there is one God from whom all things come. Luke, uh, Luke 6.46, the scriptures are numerous, numerous, but why do you call me Lord and do not do the things that I say? So when we declare the Lordship to Jesus Christ over our lives, God is expecting some form of obedience. He says, why do you call me Lord and not do? And Luke 11.28 puts it this way, he says, blessed rather are those who hear the word of God and obey it. When you call Jesus Lord, it will be reflected by your obedience to him. Amen. If you're walking in obedience to the Word of God, to the leading of the Spirit of God and so forth, that is a reflection of Jesus as Lord in our lives. Amen? That's a reflection. Not because you tell me, oh, Jesus is Lord. Amen, brother? Yep. Say all the right things and live like the devil two seconds when you step out of here. That's, what's, that's what we can do. But, um, ah, there it is. I'd like to go to John 8, 6, very quickly before closing. The scribes and the Pharisees brought to him a woman caught in adultery. That's in 8, 3. And when they had set her in the midst, they said to him, Teacher, this woman was caught in adultery in the very act, probably with one of the Pharisees. Now, if Moses in the law commanded us that as such should be stoned, but what do you say? This they said, testing him, that they might have something of which to accuse him. Jesus stooped down and wrote on the ground with his finger, as though he did not hear. So when they continued asking him, he raised himself up and said to them, He who is without sin among you, let him throw a stone at her first. And again he stooped down and wrote on the ground. Incredible scripture, and I love it. Everybody's always asked, what did he write? And I got an idea when he wrote on the ground with his finger. He put a line in the ground. And I think he wrote, na, 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 na. I got you. He who is without sin cast the first stone. Amen? And I think Jesus not only drew the line, but Jesus is the line. When you draw a line in the sand, you've stated where you 